Good morning, Gateway. I love you. I have missed you. Feels like I haven't been here for weeks and weeks. So it's so thank you. It's so good to be with you this morning. And if you have your Bibles, if you would open them or turn in your device to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Mary's dad, my father-in-law, was kicked out of the church when he was a teenager. And he never looked back. Uh, He became a very successful businessman in Vancouver. And... uh, just got on with his life and totally uh, forgot about God. But John was a dreamer. In fact, he used to dream out loud. And he would be asleep, but he'd be talking or communicating in his dream. One night, he was dreaming out loud, and he woke his wife Trudy up. And she said to him, John, who are you talking to? And in his dream state, he said, I'm talking to Jesus on the royal telephone. Now, this was not a Christian family. Anything but. They were deeply spiritual, heavily involved in the New Age movement, but Jesus was the last person they were in communication with. Nevertheless, he's dreaming about Jesus. I'm talking to Jesus on the royal telephone. And Trudy said to him, what's Jesus saying to you? And John said, without waking from his dream, he wants me to come to him, but I'm not ready. And John hung up the phone. Now, thank God Jesus kept calling. And years later, not only John, but the rest of the family answered the phone, said yes to Jesus, and they were all born again. But as Pastor Peter told us a number of weeks ago at the start of this series. Your phone is ringing. God is calling you. And if you've never said yes to Jesus, I want to encourage you, pick up the phone. God has a great purpose for your life and for your life after you die. God is calling you. And if you have said yes to Jesus, pick up the phone. God is calling you again in this 40 days of purpose. And he has a great, a fresh purpose for you in 2017. Mark Twain said the two most important days in your life are the day you're born and the day you figure out why. God has never created anything without purpose. Every plant, every star, every human being, everything has a purpose. And if you want to find out your purpose in life, you have to start with God. Only your creator knows your purpose. You either have to ask God or read the owner's manual. And the owner's manual, the Bible, tells us that we've all been created for love. Turn to your neighbor and say love. Turn to your neighbor and say I love you, if, if you really do. I hope you do. If you're sitting beside a stranger, you can say it by faith, can't you? Because we're to love God and love one another. God wants every one of us to know how much he loves us. And when we experience God's love, 
That love overflows back to God and to all those around us. We love because he first loved us. The very first purpose every one of us was created was to love. And then the Bible tells us we were also created to serve. Jesus said it's better to give than it is to receive. And today we're going to talk about the third purpose in life. You and I were created for community. We were created to belong. God never designed anyone to be a lone ranger. In fact, even the lone ranger had Tonto. And he needed Tonto because the lone ranger didn't always get it. One day Tonto and the lone ranger went out into the desert camping. They set their tent and their equipment up and Sun went down, they went to sleep. Several hours later, Tonto wakes the Lone Ranger up and he says, Kimo Sabi, look up to the sky. What do you see? The Lone Ranger's groggy. He looks up. He says, I see millions of stars. Tonto says, Kimo Sabi, what that tell you? The Lone Ranger thinks for a minute. He says, well, Astronomically, it tells me there are millions of galaxies and probably billions of potential planets. Theologically, it tells me there's an all-powerful creator God who counts the stars and puts every one of them in place. Meteorologically, it tells me we're going to have a nice day tomorrow. And time-wise, it's probably about 3 o'clock in the morning. What does it tell you, Tonto? He said, Kimo Sabi, someone stole our tent. (laughs) You were never intended to be a lone ranger. You and I were created for community. We're created to be in communion and in unity. And the reason is, God is a community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons in perfect communion and perfect unity. In perfect community. And every human being is created in the image of God. We are spirit beings made for community and made for unity. If you were listening to CJOB on Thursday afternoon, you heard the radio talk show about human relationships and what's happening in our culture these days. Social trends and relationships. And the guests they had on the show said this, human beings are hardwired for relationship. And the reason is because we're created in the image of God. We are made for community. Human beings are like Lego. Lego only has one purpose. It's created for connection. And when we connect it, we can create really cool things. And when it's disconnected, it's just a piece of plastic lying on the floor that really hurts your bare feet when you step on it. (laughs) You and I were created for connection. We're made for community. We're made for relationship. We're made to belong to one another. The title of my message this morning is Called to Community. 
And we're going to look at a very familiar passage if you would turn in Acts chapter 2. But it's probably the best passage in the Bible on community. The context here is Jesus Christ has died, suffered and died on the cross. He's been raised from the dead. He's ascended into heaven and he's poured out his Holy Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, he had 120 followers. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in languages they'd never learned. In fact, they spilled out onto the street proclaiming the wonders of God in all these languages. And the Bible says that all these nations, all these peoples that were in Jerusalem gathered. And when they gathered, Peter stood up and preached the gospel to them. And in verse 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, as we saw today, and they were added to the church that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. You might want to just underline that word or highlight that word fellowship. To the breaking of bread and the prayers and all came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles and all who believed were together. There's another word we might want to underline. And had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, Tending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your living word and we thank you for your presence in the Holy Spirit who takes the word and does something supernatural with it, opens our understanding, writes it on our heart, motivates us, equips us, moves us along. And we ask that you would do that this morning, that what's in your heart would get downloaded into our hearts and that you would equip us to live in such a way that is glorifying to you and deeply, deeply satisfying to us. And we ask this in that glorious name of Jesus we've sung about and prayed about. Amen. 
Whenever the gospel is preached, whenever the good news of Jesus' death and burial and resurrection and ascension is proclaimed, something supernatural happens. And it can be proclaimed from a pulpit. It can be proclaimed from person to person. But something supernatural always happens. These thousands of people were convicted that they were far from God. They were lost and in need of being rescued. And they cried out, what must we do to be saved? And Peter said, you turn to God. You believe in Jesus Christ and you receive the Holy Spirit. And then you evidence that belief by getting baptized in water. And 3,000 people responded in one day. And immediately, immediately the Bible tells us these brand new believers devoted themselves to the fellowship. What is the fellowship? Fellowship is not simply three fellows in a ship. It's not simply meeting in a small group. It's not simply having a cup of coffee in the lobby or at Starbucks. This word fellowship is a beautiful, powerful word. It's become so diluted. It, it flows off our lips so shallowly and superficially. But that's not the, what the Bible teaches us. Fellowship is rich. The Greek word is koinonia. And it means a sharing in, a communion with, a participation in, and a partnership with. And the very first place we have communion, the very first place we have partnership, the very first place that we have a, 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 a sharing with and koinonia is with God himself. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 9 says, God has called us into fellowship, into koinonia with his son, Jesus Christ. I think this is the most profound gift of salvation. That when we surrender our life to Jesus Christ, we receive his eternal life and we participate in some profound and mysterious way in his death and in his resurrection and in his ascension. We share our broken styrofoam cup and he shares his eternal life and glory. And what a magnificent exchange that is. Christ comes to live in us. And we come to live in Christ. We become brand new creations. This is a unique communion with and participation in the life of God through Jesus Christ. And this amazing eternal life and glory overflows in our relationship with other believers. And God calls this fellowship. God has designed fellowship in a number of ways. First of all, God's designed fellowship to be a priority. 
Verse 42 says, and they devoted themselves to the fellowship. Fellowship really matters to God. It's important. Very, very important. The word devoted means to continue steadfastly, to adhere to, to persevere in, and not faint. The early church made fellowship a priority. It was a commitment. You could count on them. Fellowship wasn't optional. It wasn't sporadic. Fellowship was daily. It says day by day. Fellowship was practical. It wasn't ethereal. The early church never said, we'll be with you in spirit. No, they were with each other in body and in person. And their commitment didn't start to the church. Their commitment started to Christ. When Jesus Christ is our functional Lord, we will walk in his priorities. When I first got saved, I was 19 years old. I had no idea about church. I didn't grow up in the church. And I thought it was wonderful. I had a relationship with Jesus. I entered into this koinonia of sharing his life. I experienced his love and his joy and his peace. It was absolutely wonderful. And shortly after I got saved, I traveled around the world. I, 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 I was just me and Jesus. I rarely met any other Christians. And when I got back from that year of traveling, oh, I was so lonely. I thought, I, I need something. Because I didn't understand the priority of fellowship. So I thought, I need to go to church. So every Sunday, I would go to a different church. Different preacher, different message, different group of people, and a different place invited me back to lunch every Sunday. It was wonderful. I didn't understand fellowship was a priority. And so I thought, something's still missing in this. Finally, I got connected into a church, a local church. I got into a small group, and my life started to get connected with other believers. And I realized, oh, this, this is part of fellowship. And when I made it a priority, my life started to grow and change in a wonderful and profound way. When fellowship's a priority, it produces stability. The ups and downs of life can be very destabilizing. But not when community is a priority. Being connected to and supported by other people, people you can count on, creates a stability in our lives. That's why small groups are such a priority at Gateway. And if you're not in a small group, I want to encourage you, get connected. You cannot fulfill God's purpose in your life without being connected to a small group of people where your lives become bound up with each other. Secondly, how has God designed fellowship? He's not only designed it to be a priority, he's designed it to be powerful. Verse 43 says, Awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostle. The church's fellowship is not natural. It's supernatural. It's not like any club, any fraternity. 
any organization. It's not like any family. It's not like a co-op or a commune. The church of Jesus Christ is absolutely unique because our fellowship doesn't come from earth. It comes from heaven. The church's fellowship is divine. It comes from God. Second Chronicles 13, or Corinthians 13 verse 14 says this, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is not a human thing we're talking about. We're not talking about people just getting together and sharing some kind of natural life together. We're talking about something supernatural that comes down out of heaven that we get to participate in. We are sharing the life of God together. In fact, 1 John 1 verse 3 says this, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We have been invited up into the community of heaven and we've been invited to bring the community of heaven down here to earth. Can you have heaven on earth? Yes, you can. We can experience heaven on earth. God is in the midst. And when God is in the midst, the atmosphere is miraculous. Signs and wonders were going on. The atmosphere is full of love and unity. Anybody here like love and unity? Good. There's six, seven, eight of us. That's absolutely wonderful. Well, I'm here to try and convince you that love, the love of God, the agape love, the unselfish love, and the unity that comes out of heaven is the most precious thing we can ever experience. And the early church was experiencing it. All who believed were together. They had all things in common. They were generous. They were joyful. The grace of God was flowing everywhere in that community because... Their fellowship was supernatural. And you and I can experience that every day. I experienced it yesterday. Some of our pastors went to Steinbeck to the Empower weekend. And uh, we were out Friday afternoon. We were back very late Friday night. I was up very early again Saturday morning. I had about four or five hours sleep. We were out there for 8 o'clock. And the sessions just went on all day. And by 2.30, I was falling asleep in my chair. Literally. 3 o'clock, I, I was in and out, in and out. Good thing I wasn't a loud dreamer. I was, And I was sitting near the front, so I was kind of... Down like this, trying to hide, but I just could not stay awake. And I was saying, if I just make it to 4 o'clock, that'll be, I'll be able to sleep then. Because at 4 o'clock, they're going to pray for us to be filled with the Spirit. They had carpets on the floor. And I could just lie on the floor and fall asleep. So I made it to 4 o'clock. I was one of the first ones up on the carpet. I prayed and I was just waiting to fall over so I could go to sleep. They came, they prayed for me, I fell back, they put a pillow under me, I thought, oh, this is awesome. <laughs> and I'm lying there, and I can't go to sleep. 
the Holy Spirit's ministering to me. He's ministering to me and then I'm, I'm praying and, and he's ministering to me and I'm praying and opening my heart up to him and this transaction's going on and I can't go to sleep and I, I must have laid there for a half an hour. I'm actually thinking, why can't I go to sleep? And after half an hour, I got up and I was totally refreshed. I wasn't tired anymore. In fact, I stayed up till past midnight last night. And I was exhausted. How does that happen? Because I was communing. I was sharing the life. I was participating in the life of God himself. And it changed me physically as well as emotionally. You've probably all experienced that where the Holy Spirit breaks in on you and everything changes. We experience something from heaven here on earth. Just over a year ago, we experienced this as elders. January the 28th, Thursday morning. We had to come into unity about this West St. Paul property. And we weren't. We were not in unity. And I was one of the worst ones that was out of unity. I thought, what on earth do we want to go over there for? There's nothing there. And so we had to meet because in two days, on the Saturday, two days later, we were having a leaders meeting where we had to present the vision to our leaders. And we weren't in unity. So we made our appointment Thursday morning. You guys remember this? We got, to, we got together. We, and we love one another. Our pastors love one another. And we prayed. We invited the Lord to come. And then we started to talk and boom. We started to argue. And the temperature was rising and things got heated. And we were going like this. We were making no progress until the Holy Spirit broke in. It was one of those old Testament Salaic moments where the Holy Spirit rushed into the room. I can't explain it. We just experienced it. Then one minute we were arguing and temperatures were rising and then God came and the next minute we're weeping. I mean weeping. I was sobbing. I was on my knees sobbing. My understanding was opened up. My eyes were opened up. I saw what I hadn't seen before. I saw it wasn't about buildings. It wasn't about land. It was about people on the other side of the river who need Jesus. The nations that need Jesus. The children that need Jesus. And I was totally changed. And so were the others in the room. We fell on one another's necks and loved one another. And we were united in that instant. Why? Because the fellowship of heaven broke into earth. And that can happen in your marriage. It can happen in your family. It can happen in your friendships. It can happen in your small group. In fact, God wants it to happen. That should be normal life. When fellowship is supernatural, it produces security and unity and liberty. 
The third way God has designed fellowship is to be a participation. Verse 44 and 45, all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belonging and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now this word participation doesn't mean, oh yeah, get your toe in the water. No, the word participation means to get involved. The Latin for volve means to roll or move. And this word involved means to be connected in an intricate way and rolling or moving in a bigger purpose. 1 Corinthians 12 illustrates this when it describes the body of Christ. Can the eye say to the ear, I don't need you? Can the hand say to the foot, oh, I have no need of you? No, everyone is needed. Everyone is important. Everyone has a role to play. And everyone belongs. True fellowship means you are stuck in and moving in a direction together. It's not just attending. It's partnering together True fellowship means giving and receiving. It's reciprocal. There are no haves and have-nots. Everybody's a have. Everybody has something unique to contribute. And participation and involvement gives us great significance. The fourth way God has designed fellowship is to be personal. Verse 46 says, day by day, Attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. You know, we have a problem in Western culture today. We have lost the reality of true community and fellowship for several reasons. One, our lives are incredibly busy. We invest so much time in work and extracurricular activities, we have little or no energy for anything else. If you're a young parent or a parent of young children, you will know or you will experience in the years to come, your life becomes driving to lessons. Swimming lessons, language lessons, music lessons, dance lessons, or driving to sports. Soccer, volleyball, hockey. Our lives can become so busy, driven by what? The pressure in our culture. That if we don't give our kids everything, they're going to somehow miss out. Well, another reason we've lost reality is our culture is terribly independent. We want to attach and detach at will. And independence is not a virtue with God. We are created for dependence on him and interdependence with each other. And another reason we've lost true community and fellowship is social media has created a false sense of community. You see it everywhere. We went out to dinner a few weeks ago. There was a couple sitting at dinner, and guess what they were doing? They were on their phones with each other. 
in their own little world. And you've seen that. You go to the rest, or you go to the, the, the coffee, you go to Starbucks or whatever, there's a whole bunch of young people sitting around. They're all together, but they're all in their own worlds. Am, am, I, am I talking to the right people? In fact, Acts 2 verse 46, if it was written today, would read something like this. And moment by moment, they were together with their devices while breaking bread, constantly checking their Facebooks and receiving their texts, Snapchats, and Instagram with distracted hearts. Screen to screen is not the same as face to face and heart to heart. Screen to screen has no accountability, no commitment, and no restraint. You can turn social media on and off at will. Social media emboldens people to say things they would never say to anyone in person. And social media robs us of body language. People don't know how you're saying it. There's no tone of voice. They can't watch you say it. They just see these words come up. And then they respond to those words. And everybody jumps to conclusions. You know that people fall in love on social media? People fall in love on Facebook and chat rooms. How do you fall in love without meeting somebody personally? People fight on social media. People break up on social media. People get divorced on social media. Deep and meaningful relationships are formed through personal, not virtual contact. Technology is wonderful. I'm very grateful for my phone, my iPad, my computers. They're great. It's awesome what we have access to do today. But when technology is not serving God's purpose, actually working against it, then we need to make some changes. And it's not only our under 35s. Our over 35s can be equally as addicted. You notice I said the word addicted. Cell phones are addictive. Science is proving this. There's more and more studies coming out saying, oh no, we have a new addiction. It's our devices. And addictions always destroy relationships. When we have a family function now, we have a cell phone jail with a big sign. Do we have that? There it is. Thanksgiving, Christmas. Welcome to the cell phone. As soon as people come in the door, it's like the Old West. They used to put their guns on the table. We put our cell phones in the cell jail. And nobody's allowed to touch their cell phone unless it's just to take a picture and then we only need one cell phone. We don't need everybody's cell phone because it allows us to engage personally, face-to-face, heart-to-heart, in the moment, without distraction. The early church was engaged in each other's lives at a heart level, not shallow, Deep and meaningfully, they shared their lives together, 
not just meals and material possessions. And lastly, God has designed fellowship to be practical. You can't fellowship with a crowd. You can't fellowship with a device. You've got to join a small group. You've got you to have a smaller context of people. And joining a church does not guarantee fellowship. Fellowship is learned. It's not automatic. Let me leave you with two practical steps to grow in supernatural fellowship and community. In your marriage, in your family, in your friendships, in your small group, and in our church. Number one. Walk in the light. 1 John 1 verse 7 says, If we walk in the light, it's conditional, but if we will walk in the light as he is in the light, that's that's a high standard, we have fellowship, koinonia, with one another. We're sharing the life of Christ with one another. And then it says this profound thing, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Oh, there's a supernatural cleansing in this. Walking in the light means being open and honest and vulnerable and transparent. No darkness, no hiding. Who we are, what we've done, what we're thinking about. Hiding results in darkness and distance. It corrupts communion and it makes a place for the devil. Honesty builds trust. It makes a way for Jesus. It cleanses us and it gives us power to change and grow. Because grace comes through humility and humility comes through honesty. Here's my question to you. It'll be at the end. Lord, is there anyone or anything I need to walk in the light about? Walking in the light. The second practical step to grow in supernatural fellowship and communion is confessing our faults to one another. Notice I said confessing our faults. That means confessing your faults, not the other person's faults. When we confess the other person's faults, that's called malicious gossip. The Holy Spirit doesn't like that. But when we confess our own faults, oh, God loves that. And here's why. James 5 verse 16 says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. There's something supernatural happens when we walk in the light and when we confess our faults. Well, what does it mean to confess our faults? It just means being honest. Simply admitting what's going on in our lives. Are we fearful? Are we worried? Are we anxious? Have we been tempted in something? Have we actually sinned in something? Just getting it out into the open. When we confess to God, he forgives us. He's faithful and just to do that. But we don't always feel free of guilt. But when we confess to God and confess to one another, James promises emotional healing. We're cleansed and healed and we can get free of guilt.
Someone said when we share our strengths, we build competition. But when we share our weaknesses, we build community. And you and I were designed for community. We were designed to be open and honest and transparent. Why? Why do we want to hide from one another? Oh, the benefits of connecting in this kind of fellowship are absolutely wonderful. We've been practicing this as pastors. I want to just boast on our pastors for a few minutes. A number of what was probably about a year ago. We meet every week in the prayer furnace here for two hours. We pray together every week, all our pastors. And about a year ago, when I was uh, discovering some of this, I thought, wow, we never do that. We never confess our faults to one another. We just come together and pray. I think the Lord wants us to do this. And, and I felt like the Lord saying, I want you to start. I want you to be the first one to confess your fault. So we came that uh, Wednesday morning and I said, hey guys, before we pray, I think it would be good if we confessed our faults to one another. You could feel the atmosphere in the room change. And I said, I'm going to go first. So I, and, and, we, and we don't just dig it up. We say, Lord, what is it you want me to confess? What burden am I carrying? What, 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 what is it you want me to bring into the light? So we did that, and I confessed my sin. And, and uh, the first time we did it, I was the only one that confessed my sin. Now, I had the jump on everybody, right? Because I'd been studying this. So the next week we came back and I thought, do I really want to ask this question again? Yeah, I think the Lord wants us to do this. So I said, hey, I think it would be good if we did this again, confessed our sin. There was a little less reaction, but, and there was participation. By the third week, it was like it had been part of our culture. And these guys are coming and being honest. And what a breath of fresh air. We can be ourselves. We don't have to put on any pretense. We don't have to be hypocritical. We don't have to put on a front. We can open our lives up to one another. And the, the Holy Spirit loves to become part of that. And our fellowship, our communion... The presence of the Lord has gone up, 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 up. It's absolutely wonderful. And now it's just part of life together. I want that for us. I want that for all our marriages. I want it for our families. I want it for our small groups. I want us to know the freedom and liberty and love and the presence of God in the midst of us because God wants that for us. So I want to give you a little challenge this morning. Are you ready for a challenge? Here's what I want to end with. I want you to, I want you to ask the Lord even if you've never given your life to Christ yet, God will still speak to you. I want you to just say, Jesus, is there anything I need to walk in the light with? 
Or is there anything you want me to confess? And I want you to find somebody near you, somebody you feel safe with, and whatever the Lord brings to your mind, I want you to share that with them. And I want you to pray for each other. And I want you to experience heaven coming into earth in our relationship. Now, if you don't feel comfortable doing that, don't, I don't want you to come under any pressure. I know it's a, it can be a big step for some of us. It can be a scary step for some of us. But if you feel you'd like to take that challenge, see what God says to you and commune with each other and then pray for each other. I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to do that, okay? Are you ready? On your mark. Get set. Go. The first thing is find somebody. If the Lord doesn't say anything to you, then just bless the person, pray for the person. Once you've found somebody, I'm just going to pray and invite the Lord to speak to us. Holy Spirit, thank you so much for your gracious and loving help in all of life. And thank you for giving us these precious, simple tools to deepen our communion with you and with each other. And we ask you now, if there's anything you want us to bring into the light, anything you want us to confess, that you would bring it to our remembrance, you'd bring it to our mind, and you'd give us the grace and courage to be able to share that. And we ask that you would fill us with your glorious presence and communion. Amen. Okay, you go ahead. Ask the Lord and see what the Lord says to you.